Have you ever heard someone make a remark about a particularly difficult person? Maybe you've said this before. Oh, they will never change. They will never change. They'll always be the way they are. That's the way they are. It's just the way they are. They, they can't change. Maybe you've said it yourself. I'm sure we've all heard someone express that. Maybe we've, if we haven't put it into words, maybe we've thought it, right? Haven't we all been there at some time or another? Frustrated. We've seen people so wrapped up in fulfilling their own desires that they can't seem to see even the most common sense thing to do. We've seen people who have been in the depths of financial difficulty because of poor financial decisions and you and you look and you say, Well, you know, it just makes common sense. You shouldn't have done that, you know. We've seen people who who make poor decisions about the direction of their life, about the friends they keep, about the relationships they make and the pleasures they pursue. We probably all know someone who seems to insist on making, we would think, that they just insist on making all the wrong decisions. And at times, that leads us to say something like, they'll never change. They'll just always be that way. Or maybe we'd say they can't change. They, maybe they want to, but they just can't change. And I would say, in part, we're probably right. The Jews were a people like that. The prophet Jeremiah addressed the problem when warning them of their coming destruction if they would not humble themselves and repent of their sin and turn to God humbly. In fact, we learn something helpful from Jeremiah's warning to them. In effect, he says that it is their very nature to sin. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23. And, and this I'll share from the New Living Translation. It puts it this way. Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can a leopard take away its spots? Neither can you start doing good, for you have always done evil. And in effect, you can kind of hear Jeremiah saying, they've always been that way and they're always going to be that way. They cannot change. But what Jeremiah was doing, he's warning them that, that nothing, nothing short of God's grace can make them good. He was warning them that nothing, not even their own strength, nothing that they could do was going to change them and make them acceptable to God and make them good. They couldn't make themselves good. Certainly couldn't. The way he says it here in Jeremiah 13.23, you can't change. A leopard can't change its spots. You can't change. They could try very hard, right? And we know many who have. Maybe we know our own lives, right? Sometimes we try very hard to change and we struggle. They could try very hard to make themselves good, but they were by nature sinners, and, and they had learned very well to do evil, and it was impossible for them to change themselves. That describes our sin problem, doesn't it? You realize that? That that describes you and me? We are, we are without strength to change ourselves. We are no different. You know, short of God's grace, as Jeremiah warned them that they could not change, short of God's grace, we cannot change. 
But when we express out of frustration that certain people will, you know, we say they'll never change. I have to think that we've forgotten what Scripture teaches about all mankind, in, including each of us. It's, it's not that we cannot change, it's that we cannot change ourselves. And it's not that people can't change, it's that people can't change themselves. No one seeks after God, none is righteous. The psalmist spoke of this in Psalm 14. Verses 1 through 3, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. We see that echoed in the New Testament. There are none who are righteous. There are none who are holy apart from God's redeeming work. And that is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ didn't come to save righteous people. That's the good news. That God didn't come, that God didn't come in, in Jesus Christ and send Jesus to, to come and redeem righteous people because He wouldn't have had anything to do. There are no righteous people. He came to call sinners, says Luke chapter 5, for whom the kindness and patience of the Lord is meant to lead to repentance. And by God's grace, He reaches into our lives and He points to our sin and our need of a Savior and He leads us to repentance. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 puts it like this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. I think that God is very gracious with us, isn't He? God is very gracious to enter into our lives and to point to our sin and then to point to our Redeemer in Jesus Christ. I am so thankful that God is still in the business of transforming lives. I am so thankful that God is a God of second chances. There's a brief reminder for us of what happens when God transforms a life in Colossians chapter 4, verse 9, and that's where I'd like you to go with me, would you please? Colossians chapter 4 this morning, in verse 9. Colossians chapter 4, and verse 9. We just looked last week at verses 7 and 8 where Paul talks about sending Tychicus with a letter to the church Colossae this letter and he's sending actually not just Tychicus but also Onesimus and there's this brief reminder for us of what happens when God transforms a life we get this brief glimpse of what happens when God changes a heart and transforms a life and what Paul says about Onesimus just a very brief phrase that points to a greater truth in Colossians chapter 4 verse 9 and as we studied in verses 7 and 8, we know that Tychicus was going to take this letter and go with Onesimus, that they were going to deliver this together. And so in verse 9, Paul writes, And with him Onesimus. I'm sending with Tychicus Onesimus. And look at this phrase right here. Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Paul says of Onesimus that he is our faithful and beloved brother. Now, if you read that verse in the context of Colossians chapter 4 with the other verses that surround it, 
You might not think much of that simple statement if it weren't for what we know about Onesimus from Paul's letter to Philemon. You see, Paul was sending Tychicus and Onesimus with the letter to the church at Colossae. He's also sending another letter to Philemon. And they were to bring those updates on Paul's ministry and the letters that Paul wrote to the churches and to Philemon. And and they were to encourage the believers. But in Paul's letter to Philemon, we learn about Onesimus, that he was Philemon's runaway slave. The story of Onesimus is a reminder of God's grace and mercy. We've talked about God's grace and mercy already this morning, haven't we? And it never hurts to be reminded again and again of God's grace and God's mercy. And the story of Onesimus is a reminder for us that God changes people. God is a God of second chances. And from Paul's letter to Philemon, we learn that Onesimus must have been He's one we'd call trouble. Onesimus was trouble. And since his master Philemon had become a Christian, it's not likely that he was oppressive, that Onesimus' master Philemon was a hard taskmaster and unjust with him as a believer. It's not likely he was oppressive and inconsiderate like some masters were. As a follower of Christ, Philemon had learned that he and Onesimus were equals before God. And he had learned that he would answer to God if he were to mistreat Onesimus. But not only was Onesimus trouble, Onesimus was an unbeliever. And Paul stated that he had been useless in Philemon verse 12. No doubt the way Onesimus described himself before coming to Christ. He was probably telling Paul, hey, I was useless, I was worthless before Christ. We know from the letter to Philemon that Onesimus had stolen from his master and had run away to Ephesus and then on to Rome and he had likely hoped to to get lost in the crowd, so to speak. But instead of getting lost, he, he was miraculously found by Jesus Christ. In Paul's brief words here in Colossians chapter 4 9, that he was our faithful and beloved brother, we learn that an amazing, an amazing transformation had taken place in the life of Onesimus. This, this once hot headed, impetuous, rebellious unbeliever was now a clear thinking, humble follower of Christ. Once ungrateful and insolent and unloving, Onesimus now abounded in love. He'd been dishonest and discontent, but now he was content and ready to make things right. That is what happens when God moves into the life of a sinner and redeems him from the pit of his own selfishness. And as God is working in this passage, and we see the life of a changed individual just as God worked then, God works now. And God is still in the life-changing business today. And when God changes a life today, we are responsible for, for being a part of God's work in that life. I want you to note with me this morning that God does three things in the life that He changes. 
Three things that God does in the life of an individual that He redeems from the pit of their own selfishness and sin. Three things that God does in the life of one redeemed that we should mirror toward that individual. As God works in their lives, these three things we should mirror. We should do what God does toward that individual. Since God is still in the business of changing lives, we should be ready to work with the life that God changes, right? And we should be very careful to never say they'll never change. Maybe they won't in their own power. But God is still in the business of changing lives. And there is hope in Christ. Onesimus is proof that God can transform lives and will use the life of one surrendered to Him. So, how does God transform a life and what should be our response to the one God is changing? How does God change a life? How does God redeem a life for Himself, for His own purposes and His own glory? And how are we to mirror God's response to that person? Well, first of all, how does God transform a life? First of all, God forgives them. God forgives them. I want you to go back with me a bit in your New Testament to the book of Philemon. It's after First and Second Timothy and Titus and right before Hebrews. It's a very brief one-chapter book, really a letter to Philemon from Paul about Onesimus. Let's look at Philemon for a moment here. I want you to look at verse 10 in Philemon. Paul writes to Philemon in verse 10, Philemon, verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now what Paul is saying with this parent-child language is that Onesimus came to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. He's not just using some flowery turn of a tongue, you know. He's talking about the fact that Onesimus trusted in Jesus Christ Paul had led Onesimus to faith in Christ. Onesimus was, was born again. He was a new creation in Jesus Christ. And we know that for one to be born again, he must be forgiven by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says that in Christ we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. You see, God forgives the rebel. Amen? God forgives the liar. Amen? God forgives the runaway slave who... See, there's a stipulation put on God's forgiveness. You have to yield. You have to repent. And the one who yields and repents of his sin and trusts in Jesus Christ, God forgives. God says, I don't count your sin against you anymore. It's gone. Not only that sin, but the sin you haven't committed yet. It's all paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I ask you, what should be our response? How should we respond? Well, we should mirror God's response, right? And if we mirror God's response, that means one word, we forgive, right? If God can forgive, we too must also forgive. Think about what Paul is appealing to Philemon for in verse 10. For what is Paul appealing to Philemon for in verse 10? He's appealing for forgiveness. And from what we can read in this letter to Philemon, Paul is confident he will forgive Onesimus. That Philemon will accept 
Onesimus as a brother in Christ and forgive him. You see, when God's work is at work in the life of a sinner and changes the life of a sinner, He forgives them of all their sin. He takes the punishment for their sin and places it on Jesus Christ. All their trespasses, gone. Paid for. And God's people are called to respond likewise. God's people are called to mirror the love of Christ toward an individual who's been redeemed from the pit. We're called to forgive, aren't we? God forgives. When God changes the life of a sinner, He forgives them of all their sin, all their trespasses, and God's people are called to mirror the love of Christ, the same love of Christ that we have experienced. The same love of Christ showered on us by His mercy and grace. We're called to forgive as God forgives, aren't we? Now, obvious in the fact that God forgives is the second way He transforms the life of a sinner. He loves them. This might seem fairly simple, but I think it's important. He forgives them and He loves them. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 puts it this way, In this... The love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's our replacement. He's the sacrifice that took the punishment for all of our sins. God changes the life of a sinner by loving them and showing them His love through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I didn't put love first because the love of God may not be the first thing that an individual thinks of when they trust in Jesus Christ. They might first think of God's forgiveness for their sins. But not long after an individual takes advantage of God's forgiveness and begins to, to, to enjoy fellowship, with the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins to realize the depths of God's love for them. The love of God may not be the first truth that a sinner understands, but once they understand that Christ was sacrificed for their sins and their sins, they could not pay for themselves. It's not long after that that they begin to see the depth of God's love for them. In Philemon, verse 9, Paul challenged for love's sake. Look at verse 9. Actually, back up to verse 8. For love's sake, Paul challenges that his master should forgive and accept Onesimus. Verse 8 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. He says, I could command you. I'm bold enough to command you to do what's required. Yet, or but, he says in verse 9, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Why is he appealing? He's appealing for forgiveness. And he says, for love's sake. You see, God changes the life of the sinner by loving them. I appeal to you, Paul says to Philemon, for love's sake. God loves and God's people are called to love God loves, and God's people are called to mirror God's love. Onesimus was forgiven by God, and God's people were also, are also called to forgive. Onesimus was forgiven by God, 
And God's people were also called to forgive Onesimus. You see, when God changes a life, He also calls on His people to show the same love and acceptance of forgiveness. Go with me to the book of John, chapter 13, for a moment. Would you please? John, chapter 13. A new a passage you're likely familiar with, but I want to remind you of this because when God changes a life, He calls us to also love that individual as He loves us. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's why we emphasize that little four-word phrase, loving God, loving people. If you love God... You will love people. If you love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, you will love people. And this is kind of the litmus test for the church, so to speak. But by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What should our response be toward those whom God loves? Do we continue to reject them and say, no, wait, you were a bad guy? You know, you were a sinner. I know all about your history. I'll never forget it. You know, it may be true that we we don't forget about someone's history, someone's past sins. But isn't it hard? Isn't it hard for us to forget our own sins at times? And Satan likes to bring them back and say, you filthy, rotten scoundrel, you. When it's been paid for, the blood of Christ has covered it. What should our response be toward those whom God loves? One word. Love, right? Does that mean we must love those who... You're saying, wait a minute, does that mean that I've got to love somebody who's, who's severely wronged me, who's done some very harmful things to me? That's what God has done to you. That's what God has done for us, right? We have all greatly wronged God and sinned against God, and God has forgiven us, Right? So the answer is yes. Does that mean that we, that we must love those who have wronged us and sinned against us? Yes. That is exactly what God calls us to as followers of Christ. And yes, that is exactly how God has treated each of us Himself. That's why it's so important that we understand the depths of God's grace and mercy showered on us. Because when you begin to get to the depths, and you never will, but when you begin to realize that there are depths that you'll never reach in understanding how deep God's love and mercy is on you, you begin to realize how you can mirror God's grace and love toward others. There's also a third way God transforms life seen in the life of Onesimus. He calls them to service. God doesn't just forgive and love, but He calls to service. He calls them to serve in Philippians. I'm sorry, in Philemon, verses 11 through 13. Go back to Philemon, would you please? In Philemon, verses 11 through 13, Paul writes of Onesimus these words. I noted this phrase earlier. Formerly, he was useless to you, verse 11. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. 
I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. And you see how deeply Paul is moved by by Onesimus and his commitment to Christ and his encouragement. I am sending him back to you, sending my my very heart. Verse 13, I would... I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. You see, when God transforms life, he does it by forgiving and loving them. And then he also does it by redeeming them for godly service. You realize that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed for service to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, service to your King. Paul says of Onesimus in verse 11, there was a time when he was useless, a rebel. But now he's a surrendered servant of Christ. Now he's useful useful for service to Christ. He's an obedient follower of Christ and he's useful for serving Jesus Christ. And God was obviously using Onesimus already to minister to Paul and to others. We can see it in Paul's expression of his desire to keep Onesimus for himself, for his own benefit, for the benefit of the others who were with him. To encourage them. God transforms lives for service. And when He does, we should come alongside the life transformed and serve with them. Serving Christ together. That's what I gather from Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says in verse 10, I appeal to you brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment and he's not suggesting I'm not going to tell you he's suggesting that we all be clones of each other and we all just go yes okay whatever you say but that we know God's word and we be united in purpose in heart in unity over Jesus Christ because we are unified in Jesus Christ as followers of Christ We are called to serve together in unity through our common bond in Jesus Christ. And what a precious bond that is. And when God forgives and loves us, He calls us to His service to serve Him. But He doesn't call us to serve alone. As we noted last week, we're not called to serve alone, but we're called to serve together. It's a beautiful thing when a life is dramatically changed by God. It's a beautiful thing to have a a brother or sister in Christ to serve with, to be encouraged by, to be bound together with in unity to Christ, in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially so when it's that life that we thought would never change. When it's that individual, we know know their their sin and their sinful past. We can say that this is a miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ to change this individual and make them Christ-like. How sweet it is and how precious it is. Paul says in Philemon verse 15, verses 15 and 16, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He says to Philemon, Onesimus is now your brother in Christ. Yes, he's your servant, but he's your brother in Christ, and that is a more powerful bond than any bond on earth. And verse 17 points to our calling as God's children. 
So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's our calling as God's children to mirror God's forgiveness and mirror God's love and then to accept that one redeemed by God and changed by God. When God transforms a life, He forgives them and He loves them and He calls them to service. And we are called to do the same, to forgive them. We are called to love them. And we are called to joyfully serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what God calls us to. To mirror His forgiveness. To mirror His love. And when He calls a person to serve Him, and they come willingly, yielded, humble, ready to serve, we get with them and we serve with them faithfully. That's our calling. That's our responsibility. That's, that should be our response. That's, that's the way we worship God. You realize you worship God by obeying and mirroring what He has done for you. Has God forgiven you? Amen? Has God forgiven you? Has, has God loved you? Does He love you? Has He called you to serve? I'll say amen. He's called you to serve. Okay? He's called each one of us to serve Him. Can we mirror what Jesus Christ has shown us? Well, let me back up for a moment and ask you. Can you change in your own power? This is hard, isn't it? We get, we get to the point where we realize that we need Christ continually. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us to help us. This is not an easy thing that we're talking about to to mirror the forgiveness that God gives us. The forgiveness that God gives the person that we thought would never change. God calls us to forgive. And oh, how we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We must constantly, continually, day by day, yield to God's work in us to forgive. And to love. And then to come alongside and serve with the life redeemed. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, as you redeem us from the pit, you redeem us from the depths of our own pride and selfishness. And you. You choose us before we choose You. And You love us and You desire to use us for Your glory. Help us, O Lord, to forgive one another. Help us to forgive those who who seem so helpless now. Maybe Maybe we can even think of individuals in our own lives who we think, they're too far gone. They can't change. Lord, help us to never think that way. Help us always pray that You would redeem their lives. Change them. Save them from their sin. And oh Lord, help us forgive them as You forgive them. As You've forgiven us. Help us to love them as You've loved us. 
And, oh, Lord, help us to joyfully serve with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And may we always have the hope of the Lord that You redeem and save and transform lives for Your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.